Welcome to this week's episode of the Big Book Living Alive podcast, a weekly podcast showcasing the 1993 Big Book Seminar presented by Joe and Charlie in Latrobe, Pennsylvania. I am your host, Brad S., and I am an alcoholic. This week's episode is not how much better it was in the olden days. It just talks a little bit about how different it was in the beginning of our program. Imagine if you did not have your phone today. Imagine if you didn't have this thing we call the internet. Imagine if you were having a problem and you did not know where to turn, and the best you could do would be to maybe go to your teacher or your priest or someone you knew. But what if you were new in town and you didn't know anybody? These were real-world situations back in the day, and when the program was first starting, there wasn't a directory. There wasn't a number you could call. You had to know somebody who knew somebody who knew somebody. And that is why they ended up knowing and understanding that they had to write the book, Alcoholics Anonymous. Because the program was evolving. People were getting recovery and getting better and getting on that road to a life without alcohol. And they needed to take the program as they had defined it and refined it and put it into words. This week, we talk a little bit about what is called the 12-step call. Now, I don't know one of these personally, but I believe back a few years ago, they still had them, where they would go out and they would pick up someone who was in need, and they would take them to a meeting, and I believe that was probably the start of their sponsorship of that person. But let's hear a little bit more about how it worked from Joe and Charlie. And it's truly by God's grace and the Fellowship of Alcoholics Anonymous and the program of Alcoholics Anonymous that I find in a book called Alcoholics Anonymous that I'm sober today, and for that I'm very, very thankful. Last night we spent a lot of time talking about the problem, talking about the physical allergy, the obsession of the mind. We talked about the fact that people have always had problems with alcohol as far back as we can remember, especially a great problem here in the United States for a long, long time. In order to show you the extent of the problem and how long we had it, again, I want to read to you from something I found in my big book one day when I got home from a meeting. And this is an excerpt from the original log of the United States Ship Constitution. On August the 23rd, 1779, the Constitution set sail from Boston with 475 officers and men on board. She had 48,600 gallons of fresh water, 7,400 cannon shot, 11,600 pounds of black powder, 79,000 gallons of rum. (laughs) She had permission to harass and destroy English shipping. Making Jamaica on October the 6th, She took on 825 pounds of flour and 68,300 gallons of rum. (laughs) Then she headed for the Azores. Arriving there on November the 12th, she provisioned with 550 pounds of beef and 54,300 gallons of Portuguese wine. On November the 18th, she set sail for England. In the ensuing days, she defeated five British men of war, captured and scuttled 12 English merchantmen, salvaging only the rum. (laughs) By January the 27th, her powder and shot were exhausted. 
Unarmed, she made a night raid up the Firth of Clyde. Her landing party captured a whiskey distillery <laughs> and transferred 40,000 gallons aboard by dawn. She then headed for home. The United States ship Constitution arrived in Boston in February 1780 with no cannon shot, no food, no powder, no rum, no whiskey, no wine, and 48,600 gallons of stagnant water. <laughs> so it's been around for a long, long time. <clears throat> this morning we're going to look at an example of what we talked about last night. Again, using the standard textbook idea, a textbook never tells you anything, but it doesn't give you always additional information, examples, and etc. to illustrate what it's been talking about. If we were in a medical school and we had been studying alcoholism in the classroom, probably the next thing they would do would be take us out on the ward of the hospital and show us a classic case of alcoholism. The big book's getting ready to do that for us this morning when we start looking at Bill's story. We're going to find that Bill's story is a classic example of what we discussed last night. And as we read and study Bill's story, we're going to be able to see his alcoholism. We're going to be able to see the progression of his illness. We're going to be able to see the unmanageability of his life. We're going to be able to see him reach the end of his alcoholism. And in just as much important as anything else, we're going to be able to see Bill affect a recovery from alcoholism. Now, to really understand where Bill's story sits in the big book and where it fits just exactly, we would almost have to go back to the 1930s to see what they were doing at that time. Now, before the big book was written, they had what they called, coming out of the Oxford groups, a visit. Today we call it a 12-step call, but they didn't have 12 steps in those days. And during the visit, the older members, Bill and Bob, would go visit one of the new members like they did Bill Dotson. And they would sit down with Bill Dotson, and through the sharing of their story, they would be able to help Bill Dotson see his alcoholism, his allergy of the body, and his obsession of the mind, and see where and why he was powerless over alcohol. In other words, through the sharing of their story, they would help Bill Dotson see what we know today as step one, where he was powerless over alcohol, his life was unmanageable. And then they would say, do you mind if we come back in a couple of days? A day or two later, they would go back and visit, and they would begin to talk about spirituality and the need for a power greater than themselves in order to overcome alcoholism. And through the sharing of their story, they would help Bill Dotson come to believe that a power greater than himself could restore him to sanity also. In other words, they would help them take what we know today as step one and two. All of that information was given to the newcomer during the visit. Then after the guy got out of the hospital, jailhouse, wherever it might be, they would invite him to go with them to an Oxford group meeting. 
And they would bring him in the meeting and they would introduce him to the group and they would say, we would have been talking to this guy and we're convinced that he knows he's powerless and he's alcoholic and we're convinced he believes in a power greater than himself to restore him to sanity and we want to sponsor him into the group. And the group then would vote whether to accept him or not. That's what sponsorship was originally. And when the group accepted him in, then he would take what they do as their step one, what we know today is our step three. Their step one was called surrender. And the older members would take this new member, especially in Dr. Bob's house upstairs. They would all get on their knees and this guy would make his surrender. Then after he made it, they would all vote on how well he made it. And if he hadn't made it good enough, he might have to make it again later on. But everything necessary for steps one and two was given to the newcomer outside of the meeting before he ever got into the fellowship. Then they started him on step three, or their step one. But they knew when the book was written, the first person here in Pennsylvania, they wouldn't be able to make a visit on him. The book would have to be complete enough to do the whole job. Bill's story is a classic example of what they call the visit or what we call today a 12-step call. And if we read and study Bill's story, we're going to be able to, one alcoholic, identify with another. We're going to be able to see Bill's physical allergy. We're going to be able to see his obsession of the mind. We're going to be able to see him become absolutely hopeless. And if we're a real alcoholic and we can identify with Bill, we can begin to say to ourselves, well, yeah, those same things have been happening to me. And through Bill's story, we'll be able to see our own powerlessness. We'll be able to see the need for a power greater than we are. And through Bill's story, we'll be able to begin to believe that if Bill could recover, then maybe we could today ourselves. Now today we've got plenty of people in a fellowship where we can talk to each other one-on-one. -on -one. But remember in the beginning, the first person in Pennsylvania didn't have access one-on-one. -on -one. It all had to come through the book. Let's look at Bill's story. First, let's look for identification. Let's look for his progression of his illness. Let's look for his allergy, his obsession, and then his recovery, and see if we can't, one alcoholic, identify with another alcoholic. Now, a lot of people say we can't identify with Bill because, after all, he was a night school lawyer and we were not. Or he was a New York City stock speculator and we were not. But if we carefully look at Bill's story, I think we'll make all the identification we need to, one alcoholic identifying with another. Certainly when I came into AA, I didn't look at Bill's story at all because I, I couldn't identify with Bill. After all, he was an old man. I was just 35 years old myself. Then I realized later that Bill was 35 years old when he wrote this book, you know. But uh, in, as Charlie said, I, I couldn't identify with him being a stockbroker or a New York uh, lawyer or New York stockbroker, although I did dabble in the stock market somewhat. But as I began to study and <clears throat> read and study Bill's story, I find more and more to identify with Bill as a person. And I find that I have an awful lot of the attitudes that he had. And we'll see those as we go through the book. I didn't mention in the intro that this was also the beginning of the second day of the seminar, Saturday morning. Uh, I enjoy hearing the 
hello and the getting started, there was a little bit more of the opening prayer. Uh, those portions will be available on our Patreon site if you would like to visit. So also, I have to laugh because I enjoyed this joke. I have been to the USS Constitution in Boston Harbor, in Boston. I have seen it, and I could just imagine that it was probably full of booze and shot, and these guys worked hard, and they partied hard, and when they got back, there was nothing left but the water because they drank everything else. Also, they're not the only ones that drank everything else. But, as we heard in this week's episode, this was the beginning of the change. This was the beginning of having a refined program that was modified from the Oxford Group. The Oxford Group was a very religious program of uh, gentlemen that were well-to-do, that they wanted to influence uh, politicians and politics. And here was the bunch of alcoholics sitting in the back corner smoking cigarettes, and all they wanted to do was keep from having another drink. So, yes, they basically took ports of the Oxford program, the steps, they took the four or six steps and turned them into the 12 steps. And as we heard today, when you went on a step visit, the gentleman basically worked you through the first two steps. And then you got voted in if you were worthy or they felt that you really did a good job or maybe you were alcoholic enough for them to work with because they didn't take you just because you drank heavy. They didn't want you if you had a drink on the weekend. They wanted to deal with those people that were just like them, unable to get better from this illness. So then they would go ahead and basically run you through step three. And I really enjoyed hearing how they would take you upstairs and make you run through step three and if they didn't like it, make you do it again. I have to imagine that that must have been quite terrifying for many people, but it was also how they did it back in the day. Now, we don't do that today. There are no membership fees or dues for being a member of Alcoholics Anonymous. The only requirement for membership is the desire to stop drinking. And I think that is probably a great change in the program because now we are not selective. We are open to everyone who has the desire to stop drinking. Also, they mentioned in there, finding yourself in Bill's story. Bill's story is chapter one for a reason. It is the beginning of the book. It tells you and me and anyone in need of understanding of what it looks like to be an alcoholic. All you need to do is read chapter one. And that was done intentionally and that was done on purpose. I hope you enjoyed this week's episode as much as I did. If you'd like just the raw Joe and Charlie portion of the podcast, that is available on our Patreon site. The link to that is available on our website or in the pinned comment. Until next week, this is the Big Book Living Alive Joe and Charlie podcast.